What's up guys? I oh, just wanted to let you guys know we're hosting a webinar in uh, mid-August. There'll be a link in the description below with uh, different times. There's gonna be two live webinars. It's going to be on the ways that we find Chinese manufacturers. So the way our company, Source Fine Asia, researches and vets Chinese manufacturers. And then there'll be a little bit of a bonus in terms of how we sort of elevate our relationships with them. Speaking of elevate, the name of the method that we use is called the SAFE method. So if you guys have checked out our ebook, you should be a little bit familiar with this. So S stands for search, A stands for assess, F stands for finalize, and E stands for elevate. So I hope to see you guys on that live webinar. Sign up today. There's only gonna be a limited amount of seats. I believe we're only taking about 50 people on the first webinar. If there's a huge demand, then we might increase that, but sign up today so you don't miss your spot. Register today for this free live webinar at sourcefinasia.com slash webinar. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Fine Asia, host of the Made in China podcast and the host of the Source Fine Asia YouTube channel. Back with another one. And in this episode, I got to sit down and interview Friedrich, uh, the co-founder of China in Portal. He is a longtime listener of the podcast. Um, I, I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised because uh, Friedrich, uh, you know, is very much interested in He's very much not. He's very knowledgeable about business in China, and he's very much interested in hearing what other people have to say about that, especially people in the same industry. He is a very smart guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. I've been following China and Portal's blog for the past four and a half years. Like I remember in my early days when I wasn't that much experienced in 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 manufacturing. I would read a lot of his blogs and interviews and and sort of guest posts that he'd done. Um, and, you know, obviously there's some parallels in the industries that were in, in, not even just the industries, but the services that we provide. However, you know, I didn't feel threatened by having Friedrich on because one, the pie, like he talks about in the podcast, like the pie is big enough for all of us. Two, we have complementary services. A lot of the stuff that he does, if, if a client wants, let's say, a more involved uh, project manager, that's the stuff that we do. Whereas with him, he's more providing the tools and the platform um, for for you to sort of manage your own project. So, I mean, we, we had a very wide-ranging conversation. Uh, Friedrich, as, as I said, he's very much interested in not just business, but politics and, and things like that. So we discussed, we talked about business in China. We talked about his early days, how China and Porto started. The, we talked about the importance of creating content, we talked about how that's evolved. Uh, we talked. We talked a little bit about the political climate in in mainland China. So, yeah, no, it was a fantastic episode. I really enjoyed talking to him. I hope we could do like an in person meeting. I'm actually in Hong Kong right now, but Friedrich was traveling, so I, I'll, I guess I'll catch him another time. But yeah, I think anybody that's interested remotely in business in China, anyone that's interested in the manufacturing space, anyone that wants to understand a little bit more about why China is still going to be the main manufacturing hub for a lot of products um, or why it's just so difficult to find factories outside of China to to produce on a small scale, you want to listen to this episode. So without further ado, enjoy. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me.
right. So let's start with the opening question. When you meet somebody in a social setting, usually outside of China, how do you describe the? How do you answer the question? What do you do? All right. Yeah, I, I try to. Uh, uh, I try to avoid talking about what I do, especially when I go back home. It gets. Uh, Yeah, too complicated and convoluted, but um, <laughs> I uh, well the way I would explain it is is that you know we at least at least when it comes to the topic of China and Portal that we provide a project management platform for small businesses manufacturing products in Asia, okay. um, which is you know mostly China, but you know like everyone else you know we're trying to trying to also assist those uh, the few that are qualified to manufacture elsewhere in Asia. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I ask that question typically is like whenever I travel and I try to explain what I do in China, it's it's funny because in China, like everybody's manufacturing base, so it's very easy for me to say we help people source from China and manage their mm. factories and stuff like that, and people immediately understand. Whereas mm. when I go other places, so what does that mean? You guys talk to the factories? It's like they have a million other questions after that. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, One thing is, I, I came across China and Portal very early when I first came to China. I was googling, uh, I was googling, you know, manufacturing and and how to talk to factories and stuff like that. And I found your blog, and I noticed mm. that you had a lot of content. So, was that something that you always started from the beginning of your business, or how did you? I guess when did you start blogging? Yeah. So you know, content was uh, something we started with. Um, Quite early on, uh, we have to go back to 2010, and this is before China and Porto. So the original website is is, is called Scandination.se uh, that I I'm living in Shanghai. Uh, yeah, that we registered and and we attempted to offer these you know manufacturing services, quality control, and and so on. And what I did back then, uh, before I even knew what you know SEO and all that is really about, and I didn't. I wasn't even. I never heard the term content marketing, but I wrote something called the Import Guide. It was just one article, and uh, I was extremely lucky. I posted it on a forum, and the editor of that forum, you know, picked it up and he said, "Hey, um, can we, can we, you know, publish this on our website?" This is a Swedish uh, website because I'm, I'm I'm from Sweden, and uh, yeah, it's one of the biggest ones. And and from that, you know, it really kickstarted that business. It was almost from you know divined divine intervention, you know. Um, without that, I wouldn't be sitting here right now because I didn't know anything about, you know, be that, you know, cold calling or, or SEO, anything like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that clearly, you know, triggered an interest in, in the world of content marketing and started blogging um, for, well, you know, on the Swedish website. And, and then in, in 2013, when, when I launched China and Portal, I teamed up with my current uh, Italian uh, business partner. And at that stage, blogging and content was something that we, we well, were quite advanced in a sense. So we really tried to scale that up and just see, okay, how much traffic can we get, you know, related to, to you know, manufacturing products in China. And uh, the business partner you mentioned is Ivan, Ivan Malocci. Exactly. Yeah, he's the Italian business partner I was referring to. So I have a ton of questions around content, obviously, because I mean that's a big part of my life, right? I have the podcast, I have the YouTube channel, and stuff. But 
Going back to, you mentioned 2010. So when did you first move to China? I guess you moved directly to Shanghai. And what brought you to, well, yeah. what brought you to China? So almost 10 years ago now. So when I was in university, there's a, yeah, um, actually in 2008, I started to buy, um, well, low quality products uh, from DHgate and, and, you know, these dropshipping websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really have any interest in, in China or Asia. It never really crossed my mind. Um, but I saw this opportunity uh, to, instead of, you know, looking for a job over the summer to, to start, you know, some sort of, you know, online business and, and buying from, from China, you know, dropshipping products, you know, it, it came naturally because back then the competition was, was, yeah, it's not, it's not the same as it is now. I would never advise anyone to go into dropshipping these days, but, um, yeah, that's really the origin story. Um, and, and then a year later in 2009, you know, I, I, uh, was a real eye opener because I, I saw that, okay, there's this huge, you know, product supply in China and there's really a lot of things going on over there in the East. So I actually made a decision to, um, apply for a Mandarin language course, uh, so one year program at Fudan University in Shanghai. So me and a friend signed up and you booked one way tickets. Uh, in August 2009. Uh, at the same time, I was still running my, my online stores. And at this stage, I was buying products from Taobao, mainly watches under my, yeah, that back then I had a website called watchyourself.se, which I still own that domain. And uh, yeah, that's, 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 that's a, the background. That's, that's, so. a pretty, that's a pretty cool domain name. <laughs> has anybody, yeah, has anybody I, I tried to buy that from you? <laughs> no, someone else owns, owns it now. Um, oh, okay. Pretty sad. Because <laughs> I just gave up on it when we started the sourcing company of Scandinavian.se. So we had this idea in, in 2010. And then I was working with a Chinese partner that, okay, let's see if we can, you know, if, if we can make some money, you know, uh, helping companies in, in, in Sweden to manufacture products in Asia. And sure, I had limited experience just, you know, trading trading uh, you know, existing products like factory labels, like actually Chinese, Chinese brands and, and selling that online to my home country. Um, so yeah, that's really how everything began with, with Scandinavian.se back in so, 2010. So you kind of leveraged uh, coming to China to study Mandarin as a way to come into the country and, and, and expand your business. Yeah, exactly. So, so what we did in, in, in 2010, we, we, um, we decided, okay, let's, let's register a company in Shanghai. Cause I was too young, you know, back then I was like 22 or something. So I was, I was too young to actually get a work permit. But if, if you're a legal representative of a company, uh, you can actually be below the, the like the, the age limit, which I think back then was 24. So, uh, that way I could set up a company, get my work permit. And, and yeah, that was our foundation for, for, you know, uh, experimenting with various sourcing services that eventually grew into, into, uh, Chinaimport.com. Oh, that's interesting. So did you, you register the mainland China company before you registered the uh, Hong Kong company? Yeah. The Hong Kong company is new. Uh, oh, okay. The Hong Kong company is registered in, in 2017 and I became a resident in here in Hong Kong, uh, just last year, like less than a year ago. Oh, okay. So I guess I have a couple questions about that because uh, we, I followed the different path, right? We registered a Hong Kong company first and then a uh, mainland company uh, later. How difficult was it? Because for me, we did our mainland registration in 2017. 
It was, it was a process, uh, and mm. that's 2017. And we were working with an agency who made it smoother, but it was still a process. I can't imagine what it would have been like to register in 2010. Um, can you? Can you? Maybe it was easier. I don't know. Maybe there was less red tape because it was a, a little bit, a little longer ago. Actually, it wasn't that difficult. But the challenge um, back then uh, with registering a company in, in, in China, and I'm actually pretty sure that it's a lot easier to do it now, was that it, it took a while for me to figure out how to get the documents. Because, for example, you know, you need you need to get your passport notarized, and and I just looked at you know this this uh, lawyer or agent in Shanghai like what is a notarized document? You know, I wasn't even familiar <laughs> with that term. Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine that something, you know, as archaic and, and ancient could still exist. You know, it sounds like something you find in an old scroll from the uh, 11th <laughs> century. You must, so you must travel up to, the mountain and notarize your documents. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unbelievable to me. So, so actually, I had to go back. I was going back home anyway, because this was the summer. Um, uh, and... Uh, I had to figure out how to get a document notarized. It turns out it's a whole system, then sent to the foreign ministry, then take that to the Chinese consulate. And, and, and they had to put some sticker on it. So, um, but once I had the documents, go back to China, you know, we handed everything in, you know, then it wasn't very difficult. Then it was very straightforward. It took like two months, another three months to get the bank account set up. It was just, just took a while to get the documents in order. And, and, and the lawyers in China, they couldn't really guide me on how that process in, in, in my country works. And I think they even abolish that now. So now you just need a passport. Yeah, so, you don't you yeah, don't have to leave to, to register, yeah. So, you know, to, to be honest, I actually found a company registration process in, in Shanghai to be pretty straightforward. Uh, maybe not as easy as Hong Kong, but nothing is as easy as Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, generally, I think that the, the two biggest things that people struggle with is, of course, the the documents, like like you said, figuring out what documents you need and how to how to get them notarized and all that stuff, and then also figuring out like what kind of company you should register and the meaning behind all the different types of companies. So like with us, luckily we we were working with an agent and uh, the, the company's called High Touch. They're really really good. So we they were just they're a consulting agency. So we sat down with them and we explained what we want to do, and then they gave us recommendations for different types of companies. And then in terms of the documentation, it was really easy for us because they do all of that stuff. They're the ones who run around to all the various places and, and get documents stamped. And then we already had our documents in Chinese because of the Hong Kong company. Um, so that helped. But in terms of just like in comparison to registering to in Hong Kong or any other country, like if you were to open up an LLC in the US, it would take you an hour you know what i mean it's just like that that so just for most people when they're coming from there and coming here they just find the process pretty pretty crazy um but yeah it's good it's, it's good to know i think maybe shanghai might be easier than than southern china as well but it is uh I, go ahead i think you're about to say something no, i think i mean my impression is that uh, you're in guangzhou right like guangdong uh Shanghai, I think I think they are really the leaders in mainland China when it comes to reducing bureaucracy and so on. Uh, but shortly then again, I never I never lived in uh, Shenzhen or Guangzhou. I can't. Yeah. So, what were your early earliest uh, I guess struggles, uh, business struggles when you first came to China, and how did you overcome them? Well, um, 
uh, when we began, you know, working on on uh, scanation, I mean, uh, the, the biggest struggle was perhaps that we didn't really know anything about, you know, manufacturing. <laughs> we didn't really know anything about sourcing. Um, but you know, that that's a great thing about about China that you know it doesn't matter. You can be 22 years old and you can still get you can still get to sit down with uh, you know the big boss of some you know trading company that's uh, with with uh, tens of millions of dollars in, in turnover. Good luck with that anywhere else in the world, including in Asia, right, the rest of Asia. So um, I learned a lot about manufacturing, about even even product compliance, uh, quality assurance by being you know out in Zhejiang province in Jiangsu province, sitting down with these people. So that's really how you know for me that was. That was my MBA, you know, or my PhD, actually. So I, I really learned a lot, and I spent a lot of time on the ground. Um, so yeah, that was the main challenge. And early on, we we didn't really have systems in place, you know. We didn't have systems for, uh, you know, avoiding payment frauds. All right, how do we understand if a product is, you know, if a supplier has the capability to comply with a product and so on? How do we deal with, you know, everything from shipping? Now, the first shipment we ever did, the first sea freight delivery we ever did, um, I didn't even know how the process worked, and the freight forwarders couldn't explain it to me. So it was completely improvised. Okay, let's wait until the goods arrive, and then we'll see if they need any documentation. Yeah, sure they did. So it was all a scramble, you know. It was quite disorganized, um, but we learned by doing. So you learned by doing. When would you say... Uh, when would you say you got to a stage when you're running the company in China where you felt like, okay, we've sort of not figured it out, but we understand China, the Chinese mentality, the Chinese business mentality? Because I feel like there's that thing when you first arrive where, you know, there's a lot of subtleties when you have meetings, when you speak to factories, the way a factory responds to certain questions, things like that. And then after a while, you, it's very easy to tell very early on based off of communication whether this is a supplier you want to work with or not yeah i think i'm still a learner you know um uh, and i would say um you know, every year you know i can see a difference in how our procedures improve and how how our systems become more fine-tuned and so on especially as that's also something that you know we we, we sell you know as a license for our customers actually use these systems as part of the you know China and Portal platform. Um, however, I would say that 2012, 2013, that's when we start to see some sort of you know step-by-step procedure, standardized document templates for production manuals, for uh, prototype uh, development do- documentation, and the way we deal with RFQs and, and compliance. If at this stage also, you know, a very important thing, you know, we're looking into C marking, uh, chemicals testing. So, and, and this is also the stage where we're working with not just, you know, the smallest companies, but also retailers and, and also uh, fairly established brands. We also start to branch out and not just work with uh, uh, companies from, from my home country, Sweden, but we also start to work with companies in, in the US, in, in, well, the rest of the EU, and, and also here in Asia, and well, Asia Pacific, uh, including, including Australia, it's a big market for us. So yeah, 2013, then, then we actually have some pretty solid experience. So what, what would you say is the core business right now? Like you have the sort of platform, is it the supplier research? Is it um, the actual project management, like what, what, what would you say is the core part of your business right now? 
Right. So um, the core part of the business, the main revenue driver for us is what we call the starter package. You sign up, you get a lifetime license, you've got a product management tool, you can book quality checks, lab testing, uh, shipping and, uh, and other services through the platform. And the idea is that you've got one dashboard, you pay uh, a single fixed price uh, currently for 79 US. And uh, then you go access to this so that you can manage the entire procedure on your own, but also get support from us. Okay. So um, that's the main revenue uh, source for us at this stage. And we don't do the quality checks or the lab testing or obviously not shipping all in house. Instead, we've been, you know, we teamed up with Southeast in mainland China, well, that's uh, owned by Renault and Geron of, of yeah, Southeast Limited in Shenzhen. Yeah, they're on the podcast. All oh, right, right. Yeah, I should. Yeah, but listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I listen to your podcast like uh, almost every week. Uh, it, it's one of the one. Yeah, it's it's definitely one I, I keep keep up with. Um, oh, thanks. Man. And we also work with Fredos. <laughs> we also work with Chima for lab testing. And and just had a meeting with Biro Veritas just yesterday. So so we 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 uh, um, yeah we have these partners that our our customers can also use. Of course, they can contact them directly, but you know, through us, they also get discounts, and they also have, you know, they, they get connected directly to uh, people a bit higher up in the hierarchy, so it's easier to get, you know, accurate quotations and so on. So, uh, yeah, we work primarily with the with the starter package as the main revenue driver, but we also offer a range of other services. And, and product compliance, this is another big thing. We're working on a completely new platform called uh, ComplianceGate.com. Um, and, and the idea is to create that as some sort of you know, free public utility, free information about product regulations in the US, the EU, and, and, and Australia and New Zealand. Um, and yeah, also videos and other content. So yeah, uh, compliance is really where we see our future right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of the so project management, you said people can manage their projects and then they pay you a, a separate fee for you know, QC and things like that. So if somebody wants a more involved project management uh, assistance from you guys, do you offer that? Or is that something that you recommend they work with other partners on? Yeah, if they want a dedicated sourcing agent, uh, we do everything for them. Sure, we do supply shortlists and so on, and we help them through the process. Um, but if they want a managed sourcing agent, then, then they, they shouldn't be working with us. Like we have our niche, it's not for everyone. Um, and a sourcing agent that really manages all the communication, uh, yeah, it's kind of not what we do. We offer price research services in the sense that, okay, you want this product manufactured, um, we create a supply, supply shortlist, we, we have uh, staff here in Hong Kong, they you know, picks, picks up the phone and say, hey, this is our company from this country, they want to manufacture product X. Um, give us a quotation, you know, confirm specifications, confirm some compliance aspects, MOQ requirements, sample costs, tooling costs, and they get, a, get it, this in a report. But from then on, they, they need to manage the process on their own. So we actually, we don't offer like dedicated, we do it for you services. I, I think there are companies that are uh, specialized in that and we, we don't really want to compete with that. And that's, that's, that's why part of the reason why I was comfortable having you on the podcast is like, I feel like we, there's a complementary side to that, right? Like you deal with the, uh, more of the compliance and allow people to have a platform. I deal more with the actual project management and day to day, you know, consulting with, with our clients. So what do you think of, um, 
a company like Sourceify, for example, because they're kind of sort of trying to do something similar, except they're trying to integrate the whole system in one? Yeah, um, I, I, uh, I met uh, Nathan Resnick in, uh, in, uh, in Saigon, uh, actually Christmas Eve. Um, went to an Italian restaurant and uh, had a, well, more than a few beers. Uh, great guy. I believe that, you know, it's a big cake. I believe that if they can help, uh, you know, establish buyers, which my understanding is that's what they're focusing on, to standardize the process, to have something better than, you know, just, just uh, well, something better than, you know, nothing really, uh, then I, I think they, they will offer a lot of value to those buyers. And my understanding is that they are fairly successful with that too. Because in sourcing, you know, I think it's an overused word. The way I see it is that, you know, it really comes down to how do you manage the process? How do you manage a project from specification all the way to, to delivery and, and integrate that with all the service providers from a, you know, product designer to the supplier to quality inspection all the way to, to, to shipping. And, and there's no single company that can offer everything, but I, I believe that if, if Sourceify can create some sort of online platform, a framework where they can, you know, standardize these procedures somehow, uh, then I, I, th- I think I think then then they really have a market for that. I never used their platform, so I, I'm, I have no idea what it looks like, but uh, I think the idea is right. So, so your your general stance on that is like. There's, the pie is big enough where there, there can be a platform like Sourceify. There can be people that want to go directly on Alibaba, uh, people that want to go on global sources, people that want to use your service um, or my service. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like uh, there's a lot of restaurants in the world, right? Um, <laughs> it's, true. You know, it's a big market. And, and sourcing is not, it's not really an industry. You know, it's, it's a practice of getting products made. Uh, and that, that's a, you know, I mean, that's, that's the world economy at the core, you know, it's, it's all about in the end, you know, like it's all about getting products made. I mean, accountants, uh, service providers, um, I mean, we can't just cut each other's hair, right? Like the, at the core of the economy, there's the, there's manufacturing. That's really what it's all about. So, um, then again, things are changing and, and to stay relevant in, in this industry, it, it will be important to have some sort of IP and, and also know which, what segment of customers will I focus on? If you go back 10 years when, when you could just, you know, act as, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to source crap online for you. I, I think, I think those people will struggle in the future. I also think, um, I also think clients want more transparency these days. So that was like when I started, when, when we started Source by Asia, uh, or at least when I came onto the company and we restarted the company, I was looking at, you know, the way my business partner used to charge clients and the way other companies were operating. And it was that thing where it's like, hey, you buy from us, we will give you a per unit cost and we're building our costs into that. And I figured like, I think most clients these days, and well, those days and definitely now, they wanted to know what the actual price is that they're paying the supplier. And they'd be happy to pay you a separate fee for managing that, pro- that relationship and, and the project but they wanted transparency. So I've, I've noticed like, even, even though we've grown year after year, a lot of the companies that were charging in the more traditional way are struggling and making less money. So there's that aspect of transparency. And like you said, IP, um, you know, 
having some sort of system that you've created that is proprietary, I think is, is going to be important. Yeah, absolutely. To, to have, you know, exactly as you say, you know, offer transparency, because I, I think if we go back like 10, 50 years, you could just, you know, pick something up from, I don't know, um, even, even DHgate back then, you could, you could sell that online and, and you, had a, you have a business. Now, supply chains are way more complicated. The way it works with, you know, say Amazon, yeah, with, with Amazon, for example, they can, they can, you know, suspend your listing or even, even reject the listing if you don't have, you know, uh, say a declaration of conformity that's, you know, properly managed, you know, matching a test report or, you know, all sorts of other issues uh, with logistics or, you know, the defect rate uh, above 1%. So, yeah, it's, it's a different level now. You know, working with, say, an EWO agent, they would just go and, okay, I found this, this, this product. Um, you can buy it for this and that price. It's just being a trader is not enough. And I think those that survive in you know, today's e-commerce industry, they know this. And, and you know, this, this sophisticated, well, complication, the way that uh, supply chains are becoming more complex, even small businesses need to have proper quality assurance programs and even product compliance programs in place. It also puts pressure on us, you know, on our industry that, you know, provide the support systems and act as service providers. Do you think ultimately, and I think this is what Sourceify is trying to accomplish, there'll be a situation where you log into a platform, uh, you type in, you know, uh, tube socks or whatever, and then it pops up and it lists 500 or 200 factories with ratings. You click on one, you place an order for 200 units in X color, and then the you get a notification from somebody saying that your order is being processed and you have uh, live webcams in the factory of the product being made and then you know you see the QC inspection being done and you get a report and then it ships out and you don't have to talk to anybody throughout the entire process. Do you, think, do you see that happening in the future? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, well, the future, that, that's a very long time. Uh, but I mean, uh, in, in the coming, uh, coming years, coming, coming 10 years, 20 years. And, and the reason is that uh, there's no business for just buying that blue sock. You want to go into socks, you want to be like, like happy socks. You need to design your new sock. You can't bring a blue sock to the market. It's, 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 it's not a business. It's dead. And this means that just placing an order... Uh, and this is this has nothing really to do with you know source if I haven't I haven't seen their system, um, but you know any system including including ours is that it will never be a matter of just placing an order just you know click, clicking a button because the thing is that product development even if it's something simple as a you know basic textile product it's mm-hmm. always complications there's always complications be it you know uh, the material selection be it print be it anything okay so. For that reason, there's always going to be a product development procedure, which is also, as you probably know, the most unpredictable phase of you know launching any product. Okay, you have a spec sheet, you have a supplier. Um, now you're gonna make, get that product. You know you're gonna realize that product, and, and that's when when things are slow. That's when things are the most frustrating, and that's also when things derail. And and the reason is. It's, it's not just a technical problem in the sense that it's, it's a technical challenge to make a product, but it also comes down to human resources. Are they motivated to make that product for you? Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's always going to be complicated to get a product manufactured. Sure, a blue t-shirt, but that already exists. You can go online, you can order a you know, custom 
printed T-shirt. So that already exists. Mm -hmm. But you look at the margins of those companies, and you will see that they're not brands. Okay, they they these are not they, these are commodity services that's been, you know, it's not even new. It's been around for like a decade already. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I think. Uh, no, it, it's, it's not going to happen. But technology, well, even, you know, a basic, basic software platform, you know, a project management platform, ERP, you know, just something is still a lot better than nothing. So having that infrastructure, you know, that roadmap, just, you know, a, a progress bar showing this is where you are in the process. You are now at step whatever of five, Okay. Um, next thing you have to do is you have to book the lab test. And this is how you prepare the lab test. That's still a lot better than nothing. But it's always it's just a skeleton. That's it. Like it's, it, it provides, you know, an overview. But there's always a human interaction. And, and as long as, you know, us, us humans are involved, uh, yeah, there's always going to be problems. Those are some really good points. I really, I agree. And I've agreed with it in the past. I maybe didn't articulate it the same way. Um, so you're, what you're also saying is that the OEM product, the, the simple, hey, I'm going to go get the sock and or whatever that product is, that that is a dying business because in order and it's also not sustainable, right? Because you're not building a brand off of that. That is that is something that is temporary. Uh, and you can already see it right now with all the guys that used to sell on Amazon or, or selling on Amazon. Yeah. It's becoming way, way, way more competitive. And all the guys that I know that are trying to create a sustainable business from their Amazon stores are now trying to create brands. Um, but the, the ODM process, the product development process is a really, really important point. And I've always said this is like, well, even if you had a platform, and, but if you want to design a new product, you're going to need some sort of consulting. You're going to need some sort of expertise, some, you know, somebody who's been there, done that to help you along the way. Um, because again, there's human error. There's the, you know, it's the first time you're making this product. So there's always things that pop up. There's always de delays and issues that need to be, you know, fixed and people that are experts who can sit down and look at the issues with the product and say, okay, this is the reason why this is happening. Or maybe if we try this, this might fix this. Um, that's always going to be something that, that is, is there until I guess you can create some sort of AI that, <laughs> that can replace consultants. So I've always I've always talked about that with us with our companies like I see the future of the company being either something towards a, along the lines of creating a platform or focusing more on the sort of educational side the consulting side um, rather than the project management side. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. And, but yeah, as you just said, you know, until the day that we have uh, an AI that can actually be you know proactive what should I say, like a proactive consultant, uh, yeah. like, almost yeah. like, you know, a self-aware um, uh, AI that, you know, can proactively work and manage a project. And solve then, problems in real time. And solve problems. Yeah. Then we're not going to see that. However, you know, if anyone is out there listening um, and you really want to get into this, well, create a project, like a, a product development project manager where you can just answer a few questions. You select a category. Do you need injection molds? Do you need that? And, and, Based on that, you can actually generate a uh, like a project standard. You then you know you follow that process in, in a software. But even then, it can't be accurately predicted. You know, uh, you may have issues with an injection mold, or maybe not, not going to get the tech pack right. Or maybe they didn't even look at the tech pack. 
Okay. Um, maybe they forgot to print your logo because, you know, humans, we humans are, you know, uh, humans, we're not perfect. We're, we're organic beings. So uh, we're not computers. So, so that's, that's why we can never, you know, just print, you know, press that button and yeah. Yeah, man, Frederick dropped in some knowledge bombs here. Um, so going back to the, the conversation we had earlier at the top of the podcast about uh, transparency and, and, and content, um, are you still, I know you, you, you mentioned that you launched a YouTube channel. Um, I, I think you even subscribed to my YouTube channel. Um, are, you still re- are you still blogging as much or are you now focusing on video and sort of audio content? Well, um, we, uh, when it comes to China and Portal, uh, it's, uh, I haven't been writing that much because uh, it's one of our employees that has been in, in charge of uh, writing content, but I supervise all the content. I still select every single topic that I will cover. And now, uh, summer 2019, we have been very focused on uh, Southeast Asia content. Okay, like, you know, Thailand, Vietnam, everyone is talking about Vietnam. Very few can actually manufacture there because they, they don't have the, yeah, they don't have the financial assets to actually, you know, reach the MOQs and so on. But yeah, we also cover India, even Malaysia, the Philippines, you know, anything, any industry that people are interested in searching for, we, we, we go for that. So I don't write as much as I used to, but um yeah, we, we still produce a lot of content. Like we've been producing uh, two, three blog posts every week. We still update content. So I'm, you know, I'm very much hands-on with the content. As for videos, I haven't been making many um, YouTube videos for China in Portal.com in, in, in a while. Uh, I think all in all we have, I don't know, 170 maybe, like pretty brief, you know, on-point tutorials about specific topics, about CE marking, about price negotiation, you know, any, anything anything that relates to manufacturing. But I am uh, now with another team member, Vincent Chung, here in Hong Kong, where uh, me and him are working on a new platform, uh, compliancegate.com. So we're making compliance tutorials and also compliance videos. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting two, three videos a week. And I'm also writing one to two articles a week. What's up, guys? I just wanted to let you guys know we're hosting a webinar in uh, mid-August. There'll be a link in the description below with uh, different times. There's going to be two live webinars. It's going to be on the ways that we find Chinese manufacturers, so the way our company, Source Fine Asia, researches and vets Chinese manufacturers. And then there'll be a little bit of a bonus in terms of how we sort of elevate our relationships with them. Speaking of elevate, the name of the method that we use is called the SAFE method. So if you guys have checked out our ebook, you should be a little bit familiar with this. So S stands for search, A stands for assess, F stands for finalize, and E stands for elevate. So I hope to see you guys on that live webinar. Sign up today. There's only going to be a limited amount of seats. I believe we're only taking about 50 people on the first webinar. If there's a huge demand, then we might increase that. But sign up today so you don't miss your spot. Register today for this free live webinar at sourcefinasia.com slash webinar. I mean, that's still a lot. Like in terms of the articles, I mean, we didn't really put much focus in terms of written blogs. Um, obviously, our focus has been the podcast and uh, now YouTube. So I mean, that's, that's, still, that's still a pretty good rate, you know, a couple articles every week. Are you finding that uh, you're still receiving, I guess, the same amount of traffic from blog articles or are you seeing that video is kind of taking over 
that a little bit? Yeah. Um, no, we definitely we receive most. I mean, most traffic is coming uh, directly to the website. Yeah. Um, YouTube is a bit different. Sure, we ask them to subscribe. We have clear call to actions. Okay, like this video, get our free manufacturing Asia case case study on chinaimportal.com slash sign up. But yeah, I mean, the, we have more than 95,000 monthly readers on, on chinaimportal.com. I'm not sure how many viewers we have on, on the YouTube, uh, on, on, like on the YouTube videos, which we, by the way, also embed on the website. So that's, you know, it's, 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 they complement each other. Um, so we actually put those videos on the website. Um, but yeah, um, the China and portal.com, like the, the website, it's, it's one of the largest in this space, like in terms of traffic. So yeah, it's, it's definitely the more valuable asset of the two. Then again, I've spent, well, we have spent probably 30, 40 times more, like invested 30, 40 times more resources, time and money into uh, written content as compared to video content. So it's not a, you know, completely, you know, it, it's, it's not fair to compare the two. But right now, well, and I, you've also yeah, you've also been doing obviously. it for for quite a long time, right? Like you've been, and, yeah. and we all know how Google works. Like, you know, the more you write, the more articles you have, the more you know, the more it's going to yeah. feed into each other, right? Exactly. But we we uh, the way I see it with content, you know, it's not necessarily just you know publishing uh, an article, but we like to we you know we pick a topic and then we write an article and then we also make a video based on that that. It's uploaded on YouTube, and we also embed that on the article. Not just for the sake of you know SEO. We we don't I don't I don't care about SEO. I don't I don't do link building or anything like that. Uh, we if I find a good topic, I don't I don't I don't care how many people are searching for that specific keyword. I don't look that up. I don't use SEMrush or anything like that. Mm. Uh, if I you know if I if I read something on Bloomberg, okay, Thailand. Uh, uh, furniture manufacturers are, you know, booming. Oh, I should, I should, I should, I should write an article about that. Or I should delegate that to someone. So it's it's really simple. Like if if anyone interested in manufacturing in Asia, it could be remotely interested in that topic. We're gonna cover that topic. Okay. And yeah, the video I mean, is there because I believe you know it's good to have a video because not everyone. I mean, who's reading these days? Like when did you go online and actually read an entire article? Like I can't remember when I did that. Yeah, I was on ESPN FC the other day, <laughs> reading about uh, reading about Manchester United. Um, but no, I I, know, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Like, uh, I think I don't know where it was. I think it was Tim Ferriss who talked about it. He was just talking about how everybody consumes content differently, right? So you have yeah. people that are very video uh, oriented. That's how they learn. There's people who want to read. There's people who like audio. Um, mm. For me, for me personal, I'm an audio learner, um, so mm. a big fan of podcasts and audiobooks and stuff like that. So I rarely watch informational videos unless it's literally something showing me how to do something on a website or you know what I mean. Um, unless it's absolutely necessary, I'm, I'm mostly uh, learning from audio. Yeah, video is a big thing for me. I'm 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 also a big podcast listener, and and uh, that's really been you know mentorship for me, uh, listening to people like Neil Patel and Eric Sue and uh, uh, the other guy, I can't remember his name, but I, I listen to many podcasts uh, about, you know, online marketing and so on. And not just that, but also pricing strategies and, and, and so on and uh, product developments. I really learned a lot uh, 
by listening to podcasts. Um, but I, I also consume a lot of videos. Like I, I use YouTube more than Netflix. I have I have my uh, my Netflix account mostly for my girlfriend. <laughs> you're you're a Stranger Things a Stranger Things fan, or is your girlfriend a Stranger Things fan? No, I love that one actually uh, because I'm born in the '80s. You know, I grew uh, up with. Oh, uh, so that's that's your that's uh, your shit. Uh, that's uh, that's yeah. that's old. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been keeping that account open for the last like three four years. You know, like the Stranger Things season that came out now. That was the first since 2017. So. I could have just restarted it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a big fan. I'm not an eight, I'm a '90s kid, but I just, it's just a fantastically made show. I think. Um, so obviously, you've been in China. You've been dealing with business in China for a very long time. Uh, I want to ask you your opinion on the current, I guess, trade war between the U.S. and, and China. Not necessarily from a politics standpoint, but from a business standpoint, has it affected your business, yeah. your clients? Um, what's, what are your thoughts on that? It's definitely affecting in the sense that, you know, people are being put off. Um, people uh, that, you know, otherwise may have decided, okay, I'm going to launch this online store. I'm going to expand and, you know, launch a new product. And this is my market, right? This is, a, this is our market. Uh, they might be thinking, I'm not going to launch any product because, you know, it's a sentiment issue. Because end of the day, there's no way that we can ever argue that the trade was good for our business. So best case scenario would be that it's absolutely neutral, but nothing in nature is ever zero, right? Like it's either it will have a positive impact or a negative impact. And this definitely has a negative impact. I haven't seen that on our revenue. Then again, uh, we are growing, uh, but I'm sure we would have grown a little bit more, maybe significantly more if, if this didn't happen. Then again, I, I think, you know, this, with these trade imbalances, it was, it was unavoidable that, you know, something like this would happen. Eventually. Um, yeah, I mean, th th this cannot go on forever. Like, th there was, uh, and I I'm not taking sides here. I'm just saying that the trading balance of this side, uh, it, it is not sustainable uh, long term. Um, so it's definitely not good. When it comes to, you know, the idea that, okay, I'm going to, you know, this, everyone's going to shift to Vietnam. Everyone's going to shift to India. Uh, I have spent a lot of time in Vietnam. Uh, okay, not in India, but we've also been working with Indian suppliers. And we still do. We still do. So, that's not going to happen. Like, if you're a small business, at least you take something like a company like Nintendo. Okay, they are shifting the production of Nintendo Switch to, uh, I think, Indonesia. But that's through the help of the, you know, Taiwanese, you know, these Honhai or these these really big contract manufacturers, because they have they have the resources to, you know, if they need a port, they build it. You know, they need a highway, they build it, um, and. The same thing with certain brands, uh, well, manufacturers that can actually go and open their own factory in, in Vietnam and, and, you know, even in Thailand or, or in Indonesia, for example, they can, they can pull this off. But if you are a, a small business and you rely on existing manufacturing capability, you want to buy, you know, an ODM product or an, a custom design product from an existing supplier, then it's much, much harder. Okay. Uh, first of all, and, and this was, uh, this is not my quote, but I really like it. It's, for, it's from, uh, I think his name is James, James Kramer or something from Cosmos Sourcing. He's currently based in, in Ho Chi Minh City. We had a couple of beers a few weeks back. And, and he said, I think it was to Bloomberg, that um, if a product can be made, it's probably already being made right now in China. But that's, it, it's not necessarily made in Vietnam or elsewhere. 
in the entire world for that matter. A lot of people assume that, okay, China's not an option. Well, Vietnam is in, in, in Asia. Indonesia is in Asia. Thailand is in Asia. I mean, can't be that different. What they don't realize is that China has been developing its infrastructure and manufacturing capability for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Thailand and, 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 and Vietnam are starting from nothing. They are not. But just because they are Asian, you know, Asian countries doesn't mean they have the exact level of infrastructure. Okay. Yeah, the, so the expertise. That too. But it's, it's really about, you know, capability. Because yeah. just because you see that Samsung has a factory or Nintendo is now manufacturing, doesn't mean that you can manufacture there because you can't buy 300,000 units a month. So you, you're dealing with higher MOQ requirements, even in the cases where you can find, you know, a manufacturer. So the option that, you know, most of the small buyers, you know, face is not where else should I be sourcing or from which other country should I be buying? Instead, the question, well, they face is, should I be buying anything at all? Yeah. So it's not... You know, okay, China is, is, is maybe in decline in terms of manufacturing. Uh, there has to be another solution. You know, maybe the answer is that there is no other solution. There is no other alternative. And, you know, the ecosystem we see now with, uh, you know, Amazon, eBay, or set up your own Shopify store, Alibaba. You know, maybe this was just something that existed at a very short, uh, you know, stage, you know, at a, a very brief time, you know, uh, because you go back to the 1970s, you couldn't even open an online store. You couldn't launch a product. And maybe we're just going to go back to that That's where, true. you know, the middle-class people will just not be able to launch, you know, uh, build a business. You know, that's, that's the way it's been for millennia. Yeah. Or, or they come up with some sort of solution, uh, politically that, that makes things work out. But, you know, I, I, it's, I, I even, I made a video about this because even, I, I get similar inquiries like where people say, hey, I, I want to make a thousand of this or 500 of this and I want to go to Vietnam. And um, like, first of all, we don't have that many connections to Vietnam, but I already know from our previous research and some people that are based there, it's like, yeah, you, the, the MOQs are so much larger. Um, the main, even, even the factories that have been opened in Vietnam by Chinese manufacturers, like they went there mm. because their biggest clients forced them to move to Vietnam or Thailand or wherever those places are. So maybe it is cheaper in terms of labor costs, but you know, it's a specific type of product that is being made there. And then the, the order quantities are, are significantly larger. Yeah, the infrastructure part that you mentioned before is, is also extremely important because that's something that I always talk about is like the reason why you're able to make 100 units in China is because they figured it out. They've, they've figured out how they can still be profitable or at least not lose money on a extremely small order because they've been doing it for such a long time. And then from the other aspect, it's the expertise, the machinery, the capabilities, the size of China, the population of China. There's the, even within China, the logistical aspects of I'm able to ship something from Shanghai or Beijing to Guangzhou within a day, a day and a half for $2. You know, it's like, it's that, that's the equivalent of shipping from, you know, the, from the U.S. to the U.K. within a day or two days, and it would be significantly more expensive. So that China has just figured it out; they're way ahead of the game when it comes to manufacturing and logistics. So it's going to be a very long time before. I don't. There's the only country really that could compete on a population scale is India, but then they don't have the, the expertise and infrastructure in place. So I don't. Know, it's going to be 
very difficult for anybody to catch up. I think it will be specific products that might develop um, maybe some of the textile areas and stuff like that might that might become Vietnam might become famous for a specific type of product and Thailand might become famous for a specific type of product, but not not everything for sure. Yeah, that's another thing though that we have to consider because it, you know, I mean you, you look at India for example, it's not that the country is lacking expertise, but you remember what I said in the beginning that I when I was twenty two, you know, a key uh, for us to survive in the beginning was that me and my partner could actually get to sit down with these, you know, factory bosses and they were taking the time, like two hours of their day to talk to me, a uh, 22-year-old nobody that knew nothing, that, you know, came to them with ridiculously small orders. Still, they did it. Now, we are doing price research services across all of Asia. And recently, we were helping an American customer to research prices uh, for a certain textile products, uh, both in China and India, okay? And with the Indian suppliers, um, the problem was that they were just not interested. They were just not interested in 5,000 pieces because 5,000 pieces to them is nothing, okay? You come back with 50,000, and this is per color, okay? Then they might say, okay, I'll give you a call, okay? I'm interested. Um, so that's the difference, you know. It's 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 just that in China, in mainland China, and I can't. I I'm not Chinese. I, I can't explain why that's the case, but there's a willingness to always make a deal. There's a willingness to always make something happen. Okay, and as I said, I can't explain why that's the case, but that's how it is. And that's something that you know a lot of small buyers they take that for granted. Because they're used to getting responses on, say, Alibaba and so on. And yeah, truth is that even then, you know, it's only 50%. But that's a lot better than, you know, 5% response rate that, that you will find in many countries. So, you know, that willingness, that openness to do business with people that sometimes don't even have registered companies, it exists in China. And you're not really going to find that anywhere else. I mean, it's not just an Asian thing. You know, you try that in Europe. They're not gonna. They're not even gonna pick up the phone unless unless they know who you are. Do you think? Because China hasn't always been like that, right? Like I, I've heard, uh, you know, from people who've been in China sourcing twenty years ago, and they're saying, you know, uh, factories would reject an order if it was five hundred units and stuff like that. I think part of that has been them adjusting uh, to the climate right now with all these e-commerce sites and stuff, uh, with knowing that there's. There's a lot of clients with small orders and, and sort of readjusting their mindset around that. Um, do you think that's part of the reason or you, you feel from your perspective that it's always been a deal, sort of a, a place where you could make a deal? Right. So from my perspective, 500 pieces is still a small order. And, and, and you, you look at, you know, most other countries, you're going, you're going to find that they want the MOQ, the minimum order quantity, way above 500 pieces, like a lot above, like we're talking... Many, many times that. Yeah, and no, I was just, I, 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 think, I think it's a combination of, of China, Chinese people willing to do deals, but I also think it's the factories have adapted to the current climate with, uh, you know, recognizing that, okay, maybe we're not going to get, you know, two or three major clients every quarter, but we might get a hundred small clients. And, you know, let's figure out a way to still make money from, from those situations. Um, Absolutely, because they've been schooled by Alibaba. They've been schooled by Alibaba. You know, they have been trained to deal with leads, <laughs> to deal with inquiries that come in online. 
people people take that for granted, uh, and 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 you rarely hear you know someone say anything good about a company like Alibaba, right? Yeah. But you know, good luck when you go to you know you go outside of China and you try to find find you know anything in in you know manufacturing the Philippines or, or something like that. Well. Um, you will, you, you'd wish there was something like Alibaba in other countries. Because when you're left, you know, on your own, and all you have is Google, it's not that easy anymore. So how do, you, well, how do you find, because yeah, I mean, I've had that issue, right? Like when I've had some clients approach me and say, hey, can you look into this product in, in India? Or can you look into this product in, in Vietnam or Philippines? Um, of course, now I have, I have connections to the Philippines, but how do you go about with your team doing research in those places? We have uh, also uh, local partners across Southeast Asia that's helping us with, helping us with research. Uh, but if you want to start, the truth is that Alibaba is still the biggest supplier directory, not just for China, but the entire world. So they have a portal specifically dedicated to, to Vietnam. They have one for Malaysia. They have for Thailand and so on. So that's the most straightforward way. Yeah, but or the, you can work with a local sourcing you- company. I think we've been spoiled with uh, with the options that we have with China, right? Because it's like, if you look in Alibaba, for any given product in China, you get a thousand results. If you look at Alibaba Vietnam, you might get like 10 or something like that. You know, so it's, um, and I like to deal with, with, with mass. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it, is, it is quite difficult if you want to branch outside of China. And I think people, people will start to learn that as they try. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, I think either way, you know, what we're going to see is that uh, the ecosystem as we know it now will maybe decline. Uh, we see already that there are a few opportunities for people, you know, to get on Amazon. Uh, internet marketing is, 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 is getting tough. Well, it's always been tough, but now it's really tough, especially if you're not willing to, you know, put in the time. There's still money to be made, even if you, if, even if you're starting from the beginning, but, you know, then you really have to be willing to, to learn all this to, 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 to learn internet marketing and so on. You can't just put a product up there and expect you know, to, to make money. Um, and at the same time, we see the trade war. So I think going into the 2020s, the conditions uh, for launching you know, a, a new e-commerce business will not be nearly as good as they were in, uh, say, 2010. That makes sense. I think that's the big difference. You know, that, I, think, I think that's really going to be the big difference. There's nothing as hard hard in life, right? It's not, nothing is actually hard. Nothing is difficult. It's only a matter of how willing are you, like what's your commitment to succeeding with this? And, and the difference between 2010 is that then maybe you could do something in, in a year, year and a half that will now take you two, three years. So that, that's the difference. The people that are entrepreneurs or committed to you know, succeeding, they will still find a way even 10 years from now, 50 years from now. But um, it's not going to be as easy as it's been. So you mentioned earlier that um, you've, you've now been a resident in Hong Kong since, what, 2017, you said? Um, no, we registered a company in 2017, but then it took, uh, well, <laughs> it took a few months to get the bank account sorted. And then, uh, then uh, yeah, I applied for residency and I got it uh, in uh, late 2018. So I've been living in Hong Kong like full time, like uh, since, since, uh, since then. So what prompted you to move? Well, you know, this is the reason, right? You, you know, content, uh, webinars, live, live uh, events, uh, being able to make phone calls with new prospective customers without interruption. Um, that's the reason. So yeah, Hong like Kong, we've had some uh, issues with our, web, with our podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I, I know how it is. I was sitting in Shanghai for like seven, eight years. So I, I know exactly what it's like. Uh, Hong Kong, you know, still still part of China, but it's free in, in a different way. It's open and it's a free internet. So for a company like us that want to be, you know, right in the middle of it and still have access to, you know, all the marketing tools that we need, you know, it's also paid advertising. We It's not just, you know, organic search traffic that we get. We also, we spend thousands of dollars on, uh, on uh, uh, advertising on Facebook and YouTube, like not just the videos, but actually, you know, pay-per-view videos and so on. So for us, it's absolutely essential to have access to this. So, uh, you know, Hong Kong is just a perfect middle ground. And it's also a really cool city, as you know. And, and the thing is, you, the taxes are so low here. So it, it's also the cheapest place to be based in, in Asia if, you, if you're a small business. Because you, from a business you know, perspective, but not from a personal, like not from your life perspective. <laughs> well, it's not really expensive here because the thing is the income tax here is like next to nothing. So no, I just mean I, the, the actual cost of living, not necessarily. Yeah, but you know, you know, you look at Shanghai today, it's expensive. Like you can't really get anything like a studio in Shanghai is like 8,000 RMB. That's what I, I pay less than that here in Hong Kong, uh, moving to Lama Island pretty soon. Now I live in a studio for $8,700 Hong Kong dollars in, in uh, Kowloon. Um, so it's not necessarily that expensive. And when it comes to travel costs, when it comes to food, uh, it's not really that expensive. Sure, you go to nightclubs here, it's ridiculously expensive. But I turned 30 last year. So, you know, I, I mostly go to uh, you know, regular bars, normally happy hour. <laughs> so I actually don't spend that much here. Like, Compared to Shanghai, no, I, I don't really spend more. Because Shanghai, I, I don't know about Guangzhou, but Shanghai is expensive these days. Well, Guangzhou has always been less expensive than Shanghai. Um, my rent, like I live in a two-bedroom apartment here, and I'm paying roughly 7,000 RMB a month on average, which is, you know, I, I think it's pretty good for a two-bedroom. Like a, it's a pretty decent place. And I'm in, like, in the heart of the city center. So, so it's always that aspect is there's a, there's a trade-off. Like if you move into Hong Kong, if I was to live in the same kind of apartment in Hong Kong, I'd be paying $4,000 a month, you know? Um, so it's like, okay, do I want to live further outside of the city, maybe get a smaller place, or do I want to maintain this place? And, you know, that kind of stuff. and then I look at other places like the Philippines and stuff like that, where it's like if, you, if I paid the same amount that I'm paying right now, then I have like this amazing condo overlooking the city skyline or whatever. So that's what I mean by Hong Kong being expensive. But as, as you mentioned, yeah, like the, the nightlife restaurants, things like that are, are significantly more expensive than, than mainland. Yeah, yeah, f fair enough, fair enough. But if you look at it, you know, say, uh, you know, set up a company in, 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 in Thailand or Vietnam, you know, the legal fees, mm -hmm. the, uh, the social security fees you have to pay on top of salaries, uh, accounting costs, uh, not to mention income taxes, you know, it really adds up, especially if you're a small company like us with just four employees. So, um, yeah, all in all, you know, it, it, uh, uh, yeah, Hong Kong is for us by far the cheapest. Okay. What is your proudest entrepreneurial moment to date? Oh, that's, uh, oh yeah. When I was on Bloomberg in, uh, Bloomberg TV in, uh, in, uh, 20, 25, no, 2014, the Alibaba IPO. That was that probably my proudest one. Uh, no, I was quite young back then. So yeah, I think I was 25. And uh, I was actually back home visiting my parents at the time. 
and they say, hey, can you, can you, can you uh, come to the Beijing office? Like, no, I just arrived here. So I had to come up with an excuse. You know, I, I redecorated the room to make it look like, like a hotel room instead of my old boys' room, you know? <laughs> and I had this interview with Bloomberg about, you know, the Alibaba IPO. And, and they actually, you know, they, 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 it was broadcasted. Uh, so yeah, that's the power of content marketing, right? Uh, another one was when I actually visited uh, Alibaba when I was invited to go there. And, you know, I was sitting on a train to, to Hangzhou and thinking, wow, I might actually meet Jack Ma. Like, mm. who knows, right? Uh, and of course, I didn't. I met, uh, of course, staff members and we went to Costa Coffee inside Alibaba office in Hangzhou, uh, which are very nice people. Like, uh, Alibaba is a really cool company. They have, it's really international, actually. You think it's this like 100% Chinese company, but it's, it's very international. I've never seen anything like that in mainland China before. Uh, fantastic company. So, um, yeah, that was that was quite impressive, quite interesting moment when when I was invited to go there and we had a content partnership going for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, uh, still collaborators in always. Both those both of those situations came about because they found your your content online. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 really simple, you know. If it's something that's interesting to the audience, just cover it um, and and try to do it in an honest way. I don't really like talk about our services or anything in the articles. So like in the videos, just focus on, you know, building trust, you know, and providing, providing something valuable because, um, you know, in B2B information still has a value, you know, in, in, in a different way compared to say in, in, in business to consumer related stuff. Okay. Uh, moving into the closing questions, uh, mm. a little bit more personal. Where do you see yourself, at, like in your personal life, living, uh, existing, business, whatever, in the next three to five years? Three to five years? Yeah. Yeah, definitely staying in Hong Kong. No matter what people say, Hong Kong has a bright future. Definitely staying in Hong Kong. Do you see yourself yeah. like bigger team or still on China, uh, China and Porto, more focused on the, the, the other company that you started? Like, where do you see yourself in, in, in terms of that lifestyle aspect? Yeah, I mean, China and Porto is, is definitely here to stay because it's an asset, like it, it makes money, it brings in big traffic. Uh, but in the sense that, you know, to develop more services or, you know, more develop new software solutions for it, um, I don't think so. Like we're still gonna, you know, stay up to date with the content. But uh, the focus right now is on compliancegate.com. And we also have, we also have a, a, a other websites, exporttoasia.com. We help customers, well, uh, e-commerce companies want to sell into Asia to, um, uh, to research, you know, the best platforms, the cost to start selling in Asia, the logistics setup, and also do competitive price analysis and also calculate the minimum unit price they need to charge. Uh, if you want to sell in mainland China on Tmall, also, you know, uh, Southeast Asia, we have Lazada and so on. So that's another thing. Uh, we have a consultant that is, is taking, taking care of that. We develop the platform. We own the platform. Uh, and then we also have a property website in English and Chinese. We, it's also content-based, but we provide free information about investing in property in Southeast Asia. Well, mostly in Southeast Asia, actually, in, in English and Chinese. So we cover Vietnam, we cover, you know, cities, new projects and so on, and interviews with industry experts. So it's basically taking the China Portal formula that, so, you know, evolved from being very, very basic and very improvised to something that's, you know, fairly 
sophisticated and that can drive consistent results into different industries. So yeah, that's that's where my focus will be. I will still be working with China and Portugal, but I don't see that we're gonna put that much time and money into you know updating the product or adding new features. That makes sense. Um, uh, going back to the export to China, or is it export to Asia website? Export to Asia? Uh, yeah, export to Asia, uh, exactly. So, like export so, number to Asia. Okay. Uh, you might want to maybe partner up with this guy, John Slemmer. So basically his company helps people who want to sell in China and register their company. Like if you want to register like an e-commerce site and uh, if you want to get mm-hmm. your ICP license and stuff like that, I, I could see some potential. You, it seems like a complimentary service what you guys are doing because they deal with the client. Once the client has their product, you guys deal with the client uh, when the client's trying to figure it out. So yeah. That, that might be a good connection there. Yeah, we're at a very, you know, entry level. Like literally, we call the product the Asia Market Entry Kit. Like this is where you have the idea you want to sell in Asia, but you're not sure where. Because Lazada, which is actually owned by Alibaba, you know, it's, it's a completely different world in yeah. terms of complexity, in terms of costs and so on. And the thing is that Hong Kong is also the prime logistics center for all cross-border e-commerce, uh, both in China, mainland China, and also in Southeast Asia. Um, but yeah, if he's listening or if you can introduce me to that guy, you know, very happy to, to get to know him because one of, the, you know, one of the things we offer is introduction to specific partners that we believe are a good fit for that specific customer. I just interviewed him. I would be very happy to do uh, anyone that can help uh, companies to sell cross-border or bonded warehouses and so on in, in, in Asia. I want to hear from you. Cool. Yeah, no, I just interviewed him yesterday for the podcast. So I have his WeChat and everything. I can I can uh, give you his contact information afterwards. Okay. Um, what What is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your business? Well, that's probably so small that I don't remember it. <laughs> um, I mean, if it's that small, okay. What would, what would that be? Well, consistency, I guess. You know, you want to you wanna get traffic. You want to be... Uh, you want to build, you know, a business based on, you know, content. It's all about the small things. The small things you do every week. The five-minute video you, you record about, you know, talking about the trade war or, or an article about labeling requirements in the United States. Uh, but, yeah, you know, uh, consistency. That, you know, this is a marathon. This is it's a way of life, really. That's what it's about. Uh, knowing that you're not going to see results, like you know, especially with these businesses like Export to Asia or Asia Property HQ, we've been we've been developing these these you know websites for the last two years, and now now we start to see a little bit of revenue, uh, not much. We're talking like less than five k in the US a month so far, but um, I have hopefully a few more decades to live. So uh, it's it's really you know about small things you do on, on a weekly basis and and sometimes you know it's 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 hard you know it's 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 taxing when you have to put in the energy uh, and also not not to mention the costs you know uh, and and you know without seeing any form of you know reward sometimes not even an indication not even a hint that what you're working on is something that the market is asking for but. Uh, yeah, you know, in, in this business, it's just uh, you do or you don't. There is no try. This, this, you go for it and you believe in it. You believe in the fundamentals of the market or you don't. And I believe that there's a market for property 
Well, I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? And I also believe that at least in the future, there's going to be a market for selling products online uh, from the West into Asia. What are three books, podcasts, or blogs uh, you'd recommend somebody check out or even YouTube videos if they were to try to understand you better? Well, of course, obviously, except for this fantastic podcast, I would first of all recommend a lean startup. That was a, uh, a watershed moment for me. That was when I realized that you don't actually build the product and then sell it. You sell it and then you build it. So that, that, that really changed my mindset. And if I look on, you know, if, if I had a graph on my income before I read a lean startup compared to the income uh, that I've been generating, uh, you know, as a monthly average since I read a lean, lean startup, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty fantastic what a book can actually do. So that, that was, you know, for anyone that in, uh, well, the service business, um, SaaS, in any in any any sort of online based business, it uh, has a huge impact. And it should be it, sh- it should be illegal not to read the lean startup. Another one, um, the small passive income uh, was very important. Uh, the first podcast I started to listen to. At this time, I was already quite established. Like uh, this, this is as late as, as early 2016. That's when a friend of mine mentioned, "Hey, um, do you listen to podcasts?" No, I heard about it. And this whole world, you know, opened up to me. It was fantastic. And, and that was another uh, catalyst in, in my business life that, that really helped me to understand that, you know, there is a method behind pricing. There is a method behind content strategy. And I'm not the only one in the world trying to hack it this way. So small passive income, uh, something uh, one, one I definitely recommend. Pat Flynn, what else? I, I'm a big fan of the Smart Passive Income as well. Yeah, Pat Flynn. Yeah, that's the guy. I was I was searching for his name earlier in the podcast when we discussed uh, when, when I when I when I mentioned that for e-commerce, uh, if you're an e-commerce physical products, then e-commerce fuel. That's one I would definitely recommend, and um, I also have to mention Global from Asia. It's it's quite lifestyle focused, but I really like that because I live in Asia and I can identify with that. And, and I re- I'm really happy that Michelini actually restarted the podcast. I was actually on him. I'm not going to take the credit for that, but uh, I, I kept sending messages to him on WeChat like, like every second week. Like you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't give up on this. You've been working since like 2014 to get this audience going. I was going to give up on it. Uh, and... Yeah, eventually you go back to it. I think in February or something. Yeah, I was uh, I was the first guest on the, the, the when they restarted the podcast. I was the first guest on there. And oh yeah, you were you were. I listened to that one. <laughs> A few others that I would like to mention is is uh, Neil Patel, fantastic uh, podcast. If you want to learn the basics about online marketing, which you should. Is that, is that the, the marketing school? Marketing school, exactly. Five minute episodes. Uh, they really break down. Uh, specific top, topics. Another one, it, it, when it's time to learn PPC, because that's also mandatory these days, The Art of Pay Traffic by uh, Rick Mulready. Um, our retargeting campaigns on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram are completely based on the strategies that I learned completely free of charge in that podcast. Can, can you say that last podcast again? Uh, the Art of Pay Traffic. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, definitely. And if you're interested in history, it doesn't have anything to do with business, but life is not only about business, right? 
the China History Podcast. So any, any one of you interested in, in, in Chinese and Asian history, it's fantastic. And I think, uh, what was that, like six? <laughs> five or six? Uh, I, I think yeah, five, I'm, I'm, five out of the six uh, I'm also a big fan of. So we're, we're definitely on the same page, including the China History Podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. All right, Friedrich, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. Uh, it's been a, a little bit close to an hour and a half. It's been a fantastic episode, man. I, I learned quite a lot from talking to you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, Rico. So, uh, yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I look forward to work with you in the future. And let me know when you're coming to Hong Kong, heading to Vietnam on Saturday. But, yeah, I'm in Hong Kong like three weeks a month. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll let you know. I think, I think I should be in Hong Kong in the next uh, week and a half, two weeks. So I don't know if you'll be back by then, but we'll definitely let you know. Seven. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, we'll liaise. Um, so if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Okay. Go to chinaimportal.com slash call and you can book a free consultation call with us. We will walk you through the process. We'll see if we can help you launch a product. If not, then we can recommend you. Maybe we would suggest that they go, go to, to your company, Source Find Asia, or if they need compliance, we redirect them to a lab testing uh, company and, and so on. But you can always book a free consultation call on our website. Awesome. And we'll definitely link that up in the show notes on the website. So if you guys want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefindasia.com. Um, if you want to check out the show notes, as I mentioned, it's sourcefindasia.com slash made in China. And definitely check out our YouTube channel, Source Find Asia. That's all one word. I will see you guys next week. Caught up in the cash and got shot up in the flash. Real niggas don't play. When it come to that money, think real niggas won't spray. Midday when it's sunny, they kill niggas broad day. On some old new jack shit. This rap shit is like tag, nigga. You not it, so run. I'm the man. Hey, I'm the man. And I'm the man. I told y'all, nigga. I'm the man. Yeah. Uh, they say I act like I'm the man, cause motherfucker I am. Niggas study my style, I should be giving exams. Damn boy, I'm so flamboyant with the ensemble. Polo jacket.